In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I'm pretty excited about a brand new series that we have. We're going and we're looking at Reset, as you can see, and we're going to kind of talk through that. We have some topics up there. I'm not 100% sure those are the topics we're going to do, but I'm pretty sure that's the way. It's already gone into our worship planning, so I feel confident about it. And we're going to cover each of these things if we talk about a reset. So let me give you a little bit of background. We are obviously in the midst of COVID, and that means all kinds of things in our life are changing. Your job is changing. Your family situation is changing. Your finances probably are changing to some degree. And so this has allowed us to kind of step back and look at all these things and reevaluate these things. I was looking at an article in the New York Times, and the gist of it was it was an opinion piece, and the gist of it was the author of the article was interviewing a guy named Dove Sigmund, uh, Seedman, and so he's a Harvard graduate, law student, uh, lawyer now, and he's now part of a couple think tanks and leadership groups, and the gist of those leadership groups is this, that they try to lead with integrity, and they try to lead with um, the idea of ethics behind the choices that you make as a leader. And so he's making this interview, and there's two things that I found somewhat interesting. The first one is he talked about a pause, and a pause normally, like if you pause a car or if you pause a computer, it stops. And he had an interesting sentence, at least to me. He said, if you pause a person, they start. And he was saying to give a chance to rethink things and reevaluate things. I'll give you a quote a little bit later in the article. He says, in the pause, that's how he refers to it, in the pause, we have the opportunity to reflect on all that the tragic pandemic is revealing about ourselves in our society. A pause can lead to a new beginning, to a reimagination of what we want to live, of how we want to live differently, less unhealthily, and less unequally in our future. So that was his main point. He says, you have a chance now for the first time in your whole entire life, probably ever, to sit back and say, I'm going to just reevaluate these things. I'm guessing you've done some of those things. Everybody here, I'm guessing, has reevaluated their family. They've looked at the good and the bad. Everyone's looked at their finances. They've looked at where does this sit. You've looked at uh, probably spiritually. You've spent a little bit of time thinking about where are these things in your life. That's what you're trying to figure out. And maybe you're calling out to God and it feels a little bit awkward because you haven't called out to God that much. Maybe things were going so smoothly, you're not, your prayer life has kind of drifted away or your devotional life has drifted away and you kind of get a reset like a lot of things, you get a chance to do a reset to think it over. He had another phrase in there that I really liked because I don't know if he played basketball, but he referred to it as the pivot. And a pivot is a common thing that comes up in the leadership world. And when we talk about a pivot, if you play basketball, the pivot is when you pick up the ball, you lift this foot. It can go anywhere you want or the other foot, but this foot has to remain stationary. Now, that's not that big a deal, except the way he described it I thought was very uh, intuitive, at least as far as leadership goes and how you make choices in your life. He said, your foot sits on what is grounded. It makes you think about the things that are important to you. It makes you think about the things that mean something to you. So like God's word, you're connected and pivoted into God's word. And now your other foot is changing direction that's to your advantage. That's how he talks about a pivot. And so each area of our life, that's what we're going to do with this series, give you a chance to think through and say, where is my family at? Where are my finances? What is going on with me as we look at mental health at the end of the month? But the biggest one that probably on most people's mind today is your job. Now, the way that we think about that, uh, I'm making an excuse because you may have already seen this before. This is going to be an acrostic that I'm going to use. 
that spells out shape. God talks about that in the book of Job. He says God has shaped us with his hands. And so each one of us is shaped in a unique way. We've spent a while about this just in our previous series. We said each one of you is unique. The way that your eyes are, the shape of your ear, uh, your intonations, all of that is unique. But now, as we take a look at that, what makes you unique, we're going to look at five different areas. So S-H-A-P-E. If you've heard this before, I'm sorry. But I say the same thing about Bible basics. So Bible basics, I tell people, you should take this course every five years, not because God's word changes, but because you change and your circumstances change. I'm guessing your circumstances have changed rather dramatically, not in the last five years, but in the last three months. So that's what we're going to do. Our first one is spiritual gifts. So some of these we'll spend a little bit of time on and some will go fairly quickly. This one I want to talk about a little bit. So what do we get, what do we mean by this idea of spiritual gifts? Sometimes people get this confused when we talk about it in the Bible. But spiritual gifts are a special ability, like a supernatural ability to carry out a capability. So I'm going to say that again. A supernatural ability from the Holy Spirit to individuals. God says every single person has at least one spiritual gift. So God has given you a spiritual gift. God has given you a spiritual gift that is a supernatural ability to carry out a capability. So this is the way the Bible talks about it, kind of an endless list. Now, I don't want you to confuse this, though, with the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what the Bible says like every single Christian has. So love, I think there's nine of them, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, I think it's self-control, if I got them right. Did I only go to eight? I went to nine. So that says, you can't go and say, hey, I'm not faithful, but you can't say that because the Bible says as a Christian, you are to be faithful. You can't say, I'm not gentle. That's not just who I am. You can't say that because the Bible says this is who you are. You could say, theoretically, I'm not especially generous. That's not my gift as it is to someone else. So the Bible does say that's one of these supernatural gifts the Holy Spirit has given to certain people. Here's kind of how it talks about it in Corinthians. So in 1 Corinthians, this is our reading for today. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them, the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in everyone is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit. So these are all gifts of the Spirit that he gives. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, discernment, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one as he determines. So what does this mean? It it means it is worthwhile. You can probably go online and say, what is my spiritual gift? But it is worthwhile to think, what thing has the Holy Spirit given me that's very special and unique that he talks about in the Bible? It could be the way that you handle people. It could be faithfulness. It could be wisdom. All of these are a special gift. As you think about what should I be doing with my life, that's our S, spiritual gifts. Our second one is heart because it works with the acrostic. But it'd be a little bit easier if we just said passion. And and what we talk about here is when you decide what you're going to do with life, it's not just, oh, God has given me these gifts, but what do you actually care about? Like, what is moving to you? What is something when a news story is on, it sticks with you, and you say, this is something that actually matters to me. And if you can't figure out what these passions are, 
uh, you, you're not going to really enjoy the things that you want to do. When you're doing your job, if you're not passionate about it, you're going to hate your job. Maybe you do hate your job, but it's probably because you're not passionate about it. So how do we distinguish your passion? It's probably a little bit deeper than just thinking, hey, I love the Denver Broncos or anything on TikTok. That what we're talking about is what is something deeper? And what we mean by deeper it is what is something that when you think about it, it causes you to want to move and causes you want to react. And I'll give you an example. This is a really simple example, not a great one. But I like people to have the joy of being able to do something right. Now, that sounds like I, I like to be right all the time, but that's not what I mean. Like the teaching kids so that if they're learning how to throw a baseball, this has happened to me more than once. I'll see someone I'm driving along and they're throwing a baseball and it's all wrong and it's going to mess them up and they're not going to be ever decent, not even reasonably decent. It's like the Volkswagen commercial. So I feel compelled to stop and go, hey, let me show you. But I can't do that because you can't do that in this day and age. But my heart goes out. I'm like compelled to action. The same thing happened. I'm not saying I got the greatest dog in the world, but my dog walks next to me. This is an ideal thing. I don't have to sit and hold the thing. I just saw someone this morning, and they're walking their dog, and they were holding their dogs like the chain up here, and the dog was kind of pulled up this way, so it followed them. I kind of wanted to say, hey, have you had a lot of dogs in your life? Let me give you a few tips on how to walk your dog. But, of course, you can't do that in this day and age. But what am I saying? I'm passionate about people doing things so they can find the joy in something to the point of action. Now, let me give you something a little bit more serious. Has anyone heard of Jakarta? In Jakarta, there's a trash dump. And uh, in, around that is 20,000 people that live around this trash dump. And the trash dump is roughly t 200 football fields. And it gets 7,000 tons of garbage every single day. And so around this is 20,000 people. They live in utter poverty. This was in an article I was reading about how coronavirus has infected and affected more than just uh, people with jobs. These are people like the lowest end because what is happening is they collect for about 2 to $10 a day. I'll show you. I think I got one more picture. They go around. Uh, this is a family affair. It goes all the way down to like as young as five. They go into the trash heap and they try and find plastic, glass, and even bones. And so they bring this to a recycling center and they get a few dollars for it and that's how they make their money. Well, there's a girl in this article I was reading. This is what was kind of intriguing is she grew up in there. In fact, she went to school, did pretty well, but then she got nicknames like the princess of the dump and things like that, you can imagine. But a Turkish family saw her and said, hey, she's doing well in school. So they gave her a scholarship. She goes all the way out and goes through college, and this is pretty awesome, does well in school, and what does she do with her life? She came back to Trash Mountain and set up a community center, I mean, very you could imagine, they didn't show pictures, but I can't imagine it's this giant YMCA like we're used to, but it showed, it gave the kids a chance to have food, it gave them a chance to have some recreation, it gave like little kids a chance to um, have an education. So what happened, this was her passion enough that it moved her. So maybe you care about kids, but where are you going to do that? Maybe you care about kids who are homeless and you say, I want to have kids so that they can all feel safe. Maybe you have a passion for um, education and you're just trying to like we have to get rid of all illiteracy and let's no child left behind that's kind of the idea behind it but by second grade we want everybody to be able to read and I'm going to volunteer my time and go to the school and say which kids really need some one-on-one -on -one help this is where you're finding your passion and then figure out where you're going to do that so we got I thought this is a great quote this is not how the NIV says it but watch over your heart that is where life comes from and that's from the message, but it isn't an idea that this is where my heart and this is where you actually do find life and joy when it's something where when the things you get to do fit in with your passions. That's what they talk about. 
The third one, abilities, this one's really short because it's very, very similar to spiritual gifts. So what is the biggest difference between the two, at least is the way I would look at it. Biblically, every single one of you, believer or unbeliever, so this is here or out in the world, has natural gifts. You can meet people, they don't have to be a Christian, that are really good at talking in front of people. You can meet people who are really good at driving a car. You can meet people who are really good at sports or ball sports or coordination or bowling or whatever it is. These are natural things that you are just born with. And so as you figure out, what should I be doing with my life, as you look at your job, you say, okay, what gifts has God given me that I can use in his service? What am I passionate about? That's my heart. What abilities, what is natural to me? If you're doing something that is not natural to you, you're going to always be frustrated. And if you can't figure that early, that's pretty easy because you probably most of you grew up with friend groups and your friends did certain things and you said, hey, I should hang out with my friends, and you figure out some of the friends are really good at it, and maybe you're not that great at it, or your friends were really into school, and you had to study extra, extra hard, and they did it really easily. You're always going to be frustrated unless you're doing something where you have a natural ability. So if you're not good with spreadsheets, you probably shouldn't be an accountant, right? Does this make sense? Thanks. Last one, uh, second last one. We got one more after this, because otherwise it would just be shap. So personality, this is a little bit me talking more that you're not going to look in the Bible and it's not going to be like, and Aaron and Moses got together and they did the Myers-Briggs personality test. Like that doesn't happen to see if they're compatible and they can work together. And there's no counseling where, you know, David and Bathsheba are sitting down and go, well, I think we should do this 50 thing. I actually have a 50 question questionnaire that my, uh, the engaged couples go through and they, they figure out, are we compatible? That's that you don't read about that in the Bible. All we're saying is there is some really good tools. And if you've ever done one, you find that, like, you look at the result and you do Myers-Briggs with all the letters, or you do, like, a Strength Finders 2.0, and it says, like, you're uh, an achiever or you're a leader and all these other things, or you can find the one that says you're a golden retriever or turtle or whatever these things are. Usually when you read the description after doing a pretty good one, you go, huh, that's about right. That's kind of who I am. And so this fits in the because we're talking about how God has made us, you don't determine your personality. You don't determine if you're an introvert or an extrovert. This is just how you are naturally wired. And some of you probably all, you're all wise enough to know this. I did not know this. When I got out as an early pastor, I'm pretty young, 25 years old, I always thought, why don't people think of things and look at things the way I look at things? So I'll give you an example, not a super, I didn't get into tons of trouble or something. But I don't mind confrontation. So then you can imagine in meetings, I want like, let's just get this over with, move on with life. That's not how every single person functions and works. If you just say, let's bring it to the surface, let's talk about it, and let's move on. That's not how some people do that. So there's, I, I couldn't understand it. I'd be really frustrated, and I'd start talking about it, and i start doing tests like this, and i start to appreciate people are wired differently, and God says all people have value, and all of these different skills mean something. If you work in a team, that's pretty essential that you have not all the same personality. If you have one person just barks orders and there's another person, all they want to do is bark orders, this is not going to be super helpful. Give you one other example is uh, Robin Williams, the late Robin Williams, a comedian. I remember reading in an article about how introverted he was, and I thought that was a strange thing because he seems about like the most extroverted human being I've ever met. Like if you ever see him on uh, The Tonight Show or something like that, he was just over the top. And what was intriguing about it is even growing up as a kid, this is just me revealing things I learned about myself, is people always said I was outgoing, and I equated that with being an extrovert, which means getting, uh, you get like your energy being around people. 
That's only partially true. I would say I'm an introverted extrovert, if that makes sense, because I kind of like being alone. And so I get part of my energy from being alone and part of my energy being for people. If I'm alone all the time, I start to go crazy. And if I'm with people all the time, I start to go crazy. So I'm probably in the middle, but I don't know where your categories fit. I called around to all the people in the congregation and I talked to some, I'm like, hey, how's it going with like, COVID and isolation? And some are like, you know what? I can barely tell because this is how my life is anyway. They're probably introverts. Other, person, uh, other people I talked to after about a week, they're like, I'm going crazy. We got to get together. We got to do something. And this was, think about that, like three, four months ago. And now they just can't wait to hang out with people. That's probably a clue if you're introverted or extroverted. So as you figure this out, we're going to talk about how this all goes together in a second. Spiritual gifts, what God has gifted you with, your heart, what's natural to you, what your personality fits. And the final one is experiences. What we mean by that is um, all the things, and we talked about that just a few weeks back, that God has put you at a certain place in a certain time so that you can minister to people. That's, that's the way we said it. There are some hands that only you can hold because you have enough experiences to step into that world to understand where they're at. But all that things goes into the bucket. So these could be mundane things, where you grew up. This could be what kind of siblings you had. It could be how your parents functioned with you, how your grandparents functioned with you, if your parents lived or your parents died when you were young. These are all experiences that go. And when the Bible talks about it, and another guy named Henry Nguyen, he was a priest, but basically said, when you describe what has happened to you, you're describing how you were made. And I think it's really key when you look back at your experiences, a lot of times we look at all the good things, all the things that are worth putting on Facebook, and the real experiences that I think shape us and change us so that we can do unique things are sometimes the darkest things. The Bible says God works for our good. It doesn't mean all the things that happen to us are good, but he's saying that God works even those bad things out for our good. Here's how Paul talks about it. I did not do a great job with this for the background, so it's my fault. Did you experience so many things for nothing? This is actually our group of churches translation. We have our own. Did you experience so many things for nothing if it were indeed for nothing? What is he saying? Like, God has allowed certain things to happen in your life, and that's going to be unique to every single one of you. And some of these things are not going to be great. A lot of these are going to be tragedy. A lot of these could be trauma. A lot of these could be disappointment. All of these things add up so that when you're figuring out how can I minister to people, these go together. So Jim Collins, I'm going to talk about a business illustration and then bring this to you as you kind of do some evaluation. We're going to look at two Venn diagrams. The first one is just the Jim Collins book. I don't want to bore you with business books. Has anyone read Jim Collins? Good to great. He's got, uh, it's a really a good book. But the, the just, he's got, like, get the right people on the bus. If, you're, if you've ever heard, like, a boss say that, they're trying to get the right people lined up. But one of the concepts that he has is the hedgehog principle. So the hedgehog principle that he talks about is the difference between a hedgehog and a fox. So a fox just, like, runs around, apparently. I don't know that many foxes. But they run around at anything and they don't get much done. The hedgehog, and he compares that to a business, they just kind of do whatever seems like it makes sense. The hedgehog, on the other hand, picks one thing that they're good at, and they just do that, and they get really, really good at it. And he said the best companies kind of pick the one thing, and this is how they determine it. What are you deeply passionate about? You got What can you be the best in the world at? So you're not doing all these um, side things. A good example is if you look at Apple computers, they used to do all things, and Steve Jobs has a quote that said he's more proud of the things they didn't do than the things that they did do because they made these choices, hard choices to say, hey, we'd be pretty good at it, but we're not going to be the best at it, so they got rid of it. And then what drives your economic engine? So this is not you as an individual. 
This is just this concept, and I, we're going to use that kind of tilted as you go to the next one. We talked about each of these areas. We've got five areas, but spiritual gifts and your abilities, those are very, very similar. That determines what you should be doing. If you're doing things that you're not good at, you're not going to have fulfillment. You're not going to have joy in your life. If you want to be like, a, like, yeah, my dream was to be an NBA basketball player. It is not happening. I can't jump high enough. I'm not fast enough. I can't shoot well enough. So this would be the thing I pursued with all my might. Everyone would laugh at me, and I'd have no joy because I would never reach that goal. The other one is deciding where you would do that. So this is the ones that are very similar. What are you passionate about in those experiences? So let's just say you're a teacher and you want to be a teacher because God has given you abilities to be a teacher. And you say, where would I do that? Where do I have a heart for? Do you have a heart for adults or teens or kids? Do you have a, or l the littlest of kids? And maybe you even have a, an experience with kids who were uh, bullied in school or something like that. So maybe you want to be a teacher, but you also want to be a school counselor so that you can help kids who are struggling. So this is kind of narrowing some of these things down. And then your personality just determines what gifts and how do you function and what would that look like for you. So when I look through things like this, I'll give you an example. Uh, when I was going in school, I remember I was a young kid. We went to this huge church. 1,600 people were in the church and they had these massive services. I could talk a while for this. We had a big family, and we'd line up in the same row every time. I couldn't follow along. It was traditional liturgy. My friend could sing it all, and I couldn't even track the pages. And I remember the pastor talking, and I literally did not understand anything he was talking about, ever. And he would talk, and I would listen as best I could. I begged my dad for gum and things like this. And I thought, if I ever became a pastor, I want to try to explain God's word in a way that makes sense to people. And so, like, this was always in the back of my mind. So where, if I would look at that, God seems to have given me abilities to be a pastor. Um, I have a heart for people. And my personality says, uh, not everyone preaches the same, but I'm using the way that I communicate, the way that God has built me to try and do the very thing that I'm passionate about, which is trying to explain things in a way that makes sense, if that makes sense. So if we go one more slide. This is probably the key thing because some of your lives have not really changed. Uh, some people uh, that are going to be listening, their whole life has changed because they've been furloughed. They're one of the 30 million people that are unemployed. But what we're talking about here is if your life is the exact same, if your job is the exact same, I think your job is the same, your life is the same, maybe the reset that happens is not saying, hey, I'm going to go a whole different direction. Maybe the reset that happens is we just put that pivot foot down and we say, can we do everything? Can I live out my life? Can I carry out my passion and what I'm doing now, even if it's not your passion, the job I've, God has put before me today, can I do that in a way that gives God as much glory as possible? And probably one of my best stories, one of my favorite stories, I've heard it many times in different illustrations. So if you can go to this final cathedral, I cannot pronounce this French city. So it's, I listened like three times on YouTube and I still couldn't get it. So it's C-H- a-R-T-R-E-S, I think. It's like sharp. It was really fast. But here's the story. That someone came to see this cathedral while it was in the works, this actual cathedral, and this is in the Middle Ages when it was being built, so we're talking 500 years ago, and someone came, and they, they, they were getting done with their shift, so it's probably a made-up story, but they were getting done with their shift, and they talked to the blacksmith, and he said, what are you doing? He says, well, I, may, I, you know, I bend metal for a living, and they talked to the stonemason. He says, I'm carving... I'm carving rocks, and, and they go down all the way down the line, and they see this elderly woman who's sweeping up, and they said, hey, what are you doing? And she said, I am building a cathedral to the one and only true God. 
And the original time I heard the story was with a stonemason. I've heard it in different ways. But what, what is the point? It, it doesn't really matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter if you're a student. It doesn't matter if you're a doctor. It doesn't matter if you're an engineer. It doesn't matter if you're a stay-at-home mom. It doesn't matter if right now you don't even have a job and you're trying to figure out what the future looks like. God says each of you can do that to his glory. And it doesn't matter if you're cleaning things up or you're building things. So where does this all end? When we say we do things for God's glory, this is the way I think about it. I, I think what, would, what makes Jesus unique and I think you could kind of go down that same shape. His spiritual gifts, he is, there's no one like him. He had every spiritual gift. But what makes him, I think, truly unique is the H, the heart. He had a heart for people. And he had a heart for you, and he had a heart for me. And to the point that when he looked down on earth and he saw the trash heap that we had, he didn't run away from it. Instead, just like that young girl who went back to the trash mountain, he came to this earth full of sin and says, I've got to fix it. And he went all the way to the cross, the only one who could do that, to take all our sins away so that we could be utterly and totally forgiven and to the point that we can go out just like you do today and just like you will tomorrow and do all things to God's glory. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for this day that we've had a chance to look at how you've shaped us and made us uh, uniquely yours. You use your hands to make each of us different. And sometimes that's frustrating. We look at the abilities that other people have. We look at their natural gifts that they have. But that, that doesn't matter. We're not in the comparison game. You've made each of us in a unique way, with a unique personality. You've given us unique experiences. You've given us a unique passion. Help us find what those things are so that we can put these together and find true joy in giving you glory in everything we do. We ask this in your name.